In a world where modern media pushes the bounds of imagination, two men embark on a journey to discover lost heroes, daunting villains, and heart-wrenching conflict. Join them in their quest in the never-ending narrative. Hey everybody, it's uh, me, Matt Yeager, at Never Ending Narrative. And Pat Osmick. And we're coming to you today. Oh man, what a wonderful day it is today. It is. It's nice and sunny and warm and... And we've decided to spend our time on the inside. <laughs> Where we have air conditioning. Yeah, this is this is what we kind of actually like. We, <laughs> I, I personally prefer it. Though I was outside actually today. No, it, it, you know, it's it's nice... When it's this hot, it's nice to get out for a few minutes, experience the weather, and then retreat back into your cave. Right. You just you you get to check on the checkbox of the day. Yeah, I went outside, <laughs> so that everyone can you know not think that you're just a recluse on the inside. The perils of living in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's 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 what we're doing. But I was outside today, and interesting enough, a late, I was sitting out on the porch, and this lady just walks by. Yeah. And she said, "What a beautiful house you have." Uh, huh. I said, well, thank you. My, uh, my mother actually is the one to get the credit for that. And she said, uh, you know, my father actually was the one who built this house. What? Yeah. So she, we, we sat down, we talked for a bit. Her dad actually built this house and she, she, she I didn't say anything that would, uh, communicate any disbelief, but she's like, I'll prove it to you. And she, <laughs> She pointed at every part of the house, like just standing there, like in, in her mind and in my mind, and she named like e- each room of the house and where it was positioned and special things about the room. Wow. So I was like, well, yeah, I mean, like I believed you before. Now I, I really believe you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was it was a lot of fun to just have a little chat with her. And she was very grateful that the house kept, you know, was taken care of and wasn't just dis- disheveled and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so that's a little little story for you wow. today. So it was, uh, did she just happen by the area and see you? Did she come expressly to see the house and check on it? No, I, I believe she, I've seen her like walk around in the neighborhood before. So I think she lives around here. I don't know exactly which house. Yeah. Uh, but she was just taking a walk and happened to see me on the porch. Wow. So that was a fun little encounter. It, yeah. Uh, with that... Pat, do you have a little story about last night? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, last night, uh, me and uh, and a group of folks went uh, to go see the new movie, The Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's the big one. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah, yeah, all the hype. Um, so the interesting thing was, I, I had heard the hype. I had heard it was an awesome movie and, uh, and really wanted to go see it. But uh, uh, the couple buddies that were available last night, they hadn't heard about it at all. Didn't know what it was. I was like, hey, we should go see Guardians of the Galaxy. They're like, huh, what's that? Really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so, I don't know. They, they live under interesting rocks, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, man, this is a great opportunity. Um, because I think one of the best things in the world is if you can walk into uh, a movie or maybe pick up a book or do, do something and come into it with no expectations. Oh, not man. knowing anything about it and then just experience it for the first time. Um, and so it was a cool chance to, uh, to 
have them experience it. Unfortunately, I had seen the trailers and heard the hype a little bit, so I was a little bit preconditioned. Um, but uh, it was fun. So we went into it, and obviously, you know, the hype is true. You know, it was a great movie, and uh, they walked out of it just so amped up and hyped and like, oh, it was the best movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that because I, I definitely agree with you. We've talked about this before that going into things like movies and books and stuff, it's hard not to have previous knowledge Mm -hmm. about it these days, especially one of my biggest pet peeves are trailers that are like, they're like five minutes long. It's, it's including like all the good action in the film. And then like, yeah, then they, they want you to actually go pay to see the movie. I'm like, well, I saw the movie already. (laughs) Right. I I got the beginning, middle and end. I don't know if you realize that. (laughs) Um, but I don't even, the last time I think I saw a movie, with no previous knowledge, I think was Super 8. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us went in with almost no previous knowledge. Yeah. Which I think they kind of meant to do that, which was great. Yeah. I mean, I think they intentionally kept the suspense and in mystery in, in the trailers, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, they yeah, didn't they didn't show, show a lot in the trailer. Yeah. Which I was very grateful for because that was one of my favorite movies to go see. Right. Um, I don't know if it's like up there as far as like movies of all time, but the experience of going to see that mm-hmm. that film was just it was a fantastic night. Um, on that subject, uh, we also just recently saw a trailer that got released at Comic Con uh, for the new Mad Max film that came out. Indeed. And that one also fit my pet peeve criteria of <laughs> a lot of action, uh, just kind of putting out what what they want to get out there as far as the movie and then i it really bugged me at the end did you hear she's like what's your name and then they just show like the mad max titles like yeah we know his name like the one part you wanted to try to keep secret everyone knew already it's in the title (laughs) uh yeah so you're not keeping anything from anybody but with those kind of trailers though with uh previous uh intellectual properties it's kind of hard to not already have previous knowledge because yeah. You know, like when I was a kid, I saw all three Mad Max stuff on, on television, actually, not even in the right. theaters. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that is an interesting thing. It's like when you when you talk about like a beloved franchise that people like it, your <laughs> your your purpose for the trailer almost changes rather than, um, you know, to get people amped up and excited about how it is. You're almost just trying to tick the, the fanboy and the fangirl boxes, mm-hmm. you know, just to, to make sure, okay, are they going to do this right? You know, I'm, I'm watching all right. the minuta. I'm keeping my see, eye on you. You know, have they checked the box that I'm really looking for? Which I think the big one right now with the with all the fans is Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, there's so much information coming out about Star Wars, like the cast and like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's almost kind of disappointing. I wish that there was more of a lid kept on that information. Mm. Yeah, I, I haven't been searching out any information, so I don't know how much I have heard. You know, I <laughs> I think I heard the news story about Harrison Ford, like, breaking his leg or something on, on set. Or oh, everyone's going to correct us, but I, I think it was Harrison Ford. If yeah. it's not, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> <sighs> well, you see, the, I... I See, this is how much I haven't been totally paying attention because I intentionally don't want to know too much. Right. I don't want to know <laughs> as much either. And we're not – you and I aren't huge Star Wars fans, but we very much enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that when it comes out, hopefully we'll just be able to enjoy the experience again. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And not – hopefully there won't be like a line of – or a whole row of just Star Wars 
huge fan guys just behind us like yelling out everything that's yeah. wrong with the film um <laughs> but i mean just the the interest and um and concern that so many people have like really comes out when they talk about this movie because everyone really wants it to be good right um and and that comes out even in little ways like people talking about like i've heard little reports of people saying that who have visited this set who have been talking about, oh, it's looking so awesome. They're doing all of these practical effects and things and not relying too much on, on CG. And so people are getting really excited about how they're making it and getting really interested in if they're, if they're going about it in the right way. Well, that's good. That's, it's good that there's more of a positive, like, we want you to do well than a, we're expecting you to do horribly yeah. and we're going to get you when you do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so getting back to the Mad Max trailer... Uh, that is actually kind of what spawned this episode. Uh, with Mad Max, the big theme is is that the world has gone into into darkness, and it looked and, pretty bright to me. Uh, know. You know, they had the sun up in the desert. Uh, <laughs> Pat, you're ruining. I'm it. sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, resources are scarce. Humanity has gone into a an, an insane part of themselves, almost like Lord of the Flies, like anything just. I'll kill you for a gallon of water and insert this vagabond who, you know, in the trailer you see he gets like chased down and he gets captured and things happen to him and whatnot. And we'll see mm-hmm. how that all goes out. If there's anything more, more than what the trailer already showed. Uh, but so today we wanted to talk about post-apocalyptic genres, the trope, uh, all the things that come with it because it's been pretty darn popular. Yeah. Uh, if you if you even like there was even things uh that were brought up this past weekend that I wasn't even realizing. I can't none had come to my head, but there's it's such a popular genre that it's used to to describe or build so many different worlds. Mm-hmm. Um two of the most popular right now is uh Hunger Games and Divergent. Yep. Uh both those book series happen in a in a time where humanity warred so much that uh, they had to decide to do something drastic to uh, try and bring peace or stability to humanity. Uh, spoiler alert for the book series and the movies. Uh, in Hunger Games, what they did is they set up a system of uh, cities and whatnot. And to remind each region that we shouldn't go to war anymore, they... Each region has to contribute two tributes to the Hunger Games. Uh, and there's a lot to go with that. And what I like about that setup in the Hunger Games is they, they every time they reference the different regions, they explicitly showed like how different they are from each other. Hmm. Um, you know, they have their very, they're very pointed in, in what their, their job is, you know, like the, District 12, I think it's District 12, that Katniss is in, mm-hmm. is all about mining. Um, there's the District for Technology. There's District for Forestry, things like that. And so they, d- they did a great job of showing that because, like, your district, if your district is just mining, you don't need things, like, for forestry or you don't even need, like, computers or vehicles. You just need to go down the mine, get the stuff, sure. get it back out. We'll take care of the rest. And... So they did a good job is to show why the the world that Katniss lived in was so limited because it you know it was it wasn't 
I guess it was mm. kind of poverty stricken, but like, yeah. you know, she wasn't able to have like guns or uh, flying ships, which were in that world, but were not available to her. Yeah, it, it goes into the reason about why they're poverty stricken. Yes. Um, yeah, because it's the interesting story. I mean, you look at poverty stricken areas today and there are socioeconomic and political reasons. But, you know, you look at, at this area and, oh, they're poverty stricken because it's an intentional decision mm-hmm. on the part of the leadership, not just because of a problem or a lack of resources. Which I like very much, not the idea of one district oppressing the rest of them, <laughs> but I like the idea that they admonish that there's technologies that we kind of understand go with each other. Um, like if you're, if you're building a world where there's, it's just like medieval area and there's just swords and there's shields, um, you know, they're made of steel maybe, but as far as other technologies, like they, they pretty much like have like horses and carts, uh, and not a whole lot past that. Mm -hmm. Um, like they don't have computers, they don't have airplanes and things like that. And so we get that we, that, that fits with our understanding of how technology has progressed. Uh, and so if you have modern day kind of stuff or even like maybe past the future there's things that go along with that like if you have computers i personally expect you to also have airplanes yeah you know like because airplanes came before computers Mm -hmm. you know it just kind of like fits in my mind yeah you know sue me if i uh if i have to think in that kind of progression and so moving over to divergent uh when they set up their post-apocalyptic world uh in the in the first books they kind of made it kind of mysterious. Like you don't necessarily know how the world exactly works. Hmm. Uh, and you find out eventually that it's set in Chicago, what you understand as Chicago, uh, because they, they point out a lot of different landmarks okay. uh, to, to make it prevalent to you that they're in Chicago. They have a working train system that goes around the city. Interesting. Um, which I think is the actual L train there. Um, and they have computers and security surveillance cameras and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this is starting to get cemented in my head as I, was, as I was reading the books. But what was missing huge was air travel, like just no planes, nothing. Okay. Which I don't know why it really bugged me. Huh. And so this is so when you're talking about this, I know this is a slight little tangent, but it really kind of bugged me. And so eventually in the books, they actually do leave Chicago. Uh, and they go to O'Hare Airport, and so now they, they see airplanes, and mm-hmm. they're wowed by it and whatnot. But it still bugged me that in in your, like, human head, like, you can understand computers and how they work, yeah. trains, run them, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but you never thought to, like, look up in the sky. I don't know. Is that weird you out? Well, uh not really. Um, I mean, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're totally different aspects of technology. They and are. Physics principles. I mean, just because you've got a box that can spit out information and data and stuff doesn't mean that it can also fly through the air. I mean, those two concepts aren't really connected to each other. But <laughs> like what you said before, we kind of equate them because we know how technology progressed. We've got yes. that idea in our mind of, you know, okay, this happened before this and um, – I think the interesting uh, thing about some of these post-apocalyptic stories is it can kind of turn a lot of these things on their head. Mm-hmm. It can it can isolate different aspects of technology. I mean, what so what would our society look like if we had this piece of technology but not this, mm-hmm. which hadn't happened before? We had never, you know, we had never had computers but not airplanes. That's mm-hmm. just not how the world developed. But if we kind of restarted, 
what would the world look like in that new area? Right. You know? And I, I definitely think that you have the right mindset. I think that I'm the, the oddball out, uh, but it's just hard for me to wrap my head yeah. around. Um, and so along those lines, like you see post-apocalyptic worlds. Um, I don't know if you, I guess you could kind of put them in two categories. As far as I'm concerned, there's mm. like the, the apocalypse just happened and mm. we're still like fighting for survival. Like there's uh, falling skies I've been watching recently uh, where the aliens attacked and they're still trying to resist and fight back. Sure. But their world is being obliterated. Like they don't know really where anyone is mm-hmm. except for their own little grouping. Yeah. Uh, and so they're just fighting back by themselves because they're, they're like, well, we're the last of humanity. We got to fight back. Right. But, but they had previously existed in, I guess I'll say civilized society. Yeah. In modern society. Yeah. Uh, there's Walking Dead where the – we watched the first season mm-hmm. and I think it, it kind of started right as like, you know, it's just maybe like a few months after the big outbreak happened. And so you're kind of, again, you're isolated amongst yourself. You're trying to find survivors, mm-hmm. things like that. And there's also the post-apocalyptic world where it's been generations now since the apocalypse. Yeah. And so now there's been like a folklore and a history. Uh, and with those kind of worlds, I definitely, accept more the 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 mismatching of technologies Mm. uh so in nausicaa the valley of the wind is a post-apocalyptic film Mm -hmm. uh where man has made technology so powerful that it's destroyed us you know and all this stuff and um so with that you see semi-medieval stuff where they have windmills and swords and horses to get around mm-hmm. or well i mean they don't have actual horses in that film right they have more looking like emus kind of deal a horse equivalent yeah yeah, yeah the equivalent a uh a pack animal no that's not a pack animal i you don't could know. probably put packs on it i don't sure. know we'll, i guess we'll i don't put, know what the we'll put backpacks is. on them and then we'll ride them sure uh but you also have these huge airplanes um mm-hmm. and not just like little biplanes that are like uh, powered like that, but like they're they're pretty advanced as far as that goes. They can mm-hmm. fly around, carry big cargo, and uh, shoot bullets and whatnot. Right, but still with with kind of more of the the mechanical vibe, not really like computers or yeah. You know. It's m- closer almost to like steampunk, yeah, kind of deal, mm-hmm. um, which I've always liked about uh, Miyazaki's technologies. <laughs> uh, and so you know you have those two different kinds of of buildups. And I think that they they serve different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, the more immediate one, I think a lot of people use to answer the question, well, how would I act yeah. if this happened? If if all of our rules of society suddenly, you know, went away and there's nothing to repress, you know, those inner feelings and desires or, you know, compulsions or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, what would you do? How would you act? Would you go totally lawless or would you keep some of, um, I guess, your morality or whatever you want to call it right. in, the, in that case? And I think that those are fun questions to ask. You know, a lot of times these days people talk about like, oh, do you have a plan if the zombie apocalypse does happen? <laughs> Uh, even even the CDC had an official like document <laughs> coming out like talking about zombie preparedness. Ah, uh, the CDC is ruining my life because it's making this a more popular thing. <laughs> um, you have no idea how many people, how many like dude bros, I've talked to, and they're like, "Oh man, I totally got a plan. I've got I've got a lot of stuff stashed away. I'm ready to go, man." <laughs> this, 
the zombie preppers. The, yeah, the zombie preppers. Uh, they're fun. Uh, and so I think it's an interesting question to ask. I think that sometimes it kind of wears on me because it's so popular right now, though. Hmm. Um, so I, I guess try to to try to avoid the mass inundation of those kinds of uh, media. I've been watching more stuff as far as post-apocalyptic goes, I've been watching more stuff where it's like generations past. Hmm. Um, so like the Nausicaa stuff, that's always fun because sure. you see, well, we've survived and now we're trying to build civilization again. Yeah. I suppose um, something like the matrix is kind of an interesting cross between the two. Oh yeah. You're um, right. I, I never, I've never thought about it this until just this moment, but I mean, the the reality of it is it is a generational post-apocalyptic yes. thing. The robots took over and, like, you know, wiped out long human ago. civilization m- long ago. But you still have them living in the illusion. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert <laughs> from, like, what, 2003? Hey, you know, some people may not have seen The Matrix. It's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they're still living in the illusion of the fact that they are – you know, in, you know, modern society. And then they're almost violently ripped from that um, to see the reality. Um, And uh, yeah. And then, so it's an interesting thing of, okay, so what do you do now that you know, everything's been turned on its head? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Interesting cross between them. Yeah. I never even thought about that myself. Yeah. I've been talking to different people and I really wish I could remember some of the titles, but the, the ones that have been brought up to me were definitely kind of like those, those clicks in your head, you're like, that is this type of, of setting genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've always loved that there's been, as far as like the, the media that I consume, as far as like movies and television, mm-hmm. um, with post-apocalyptic, there's kind of like two different kinds. There's like the American ones. Um, and the Japanese also have a lot of post-apocalyptic kind of stuff. And with the American ones, like you think like Mad Max, um, I think Waterworld is technically one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of this, uh, like we're all kind of fighting for resources. It's just, it's survival of the fittest. Um, you know, like and you said, it's a, it, the with the movie trailer is bright because it's like, it's uh, the Mad Max ones are usually set in the desert where mm-hmm. there's nothing left. Um, everything's been taken away. And so now you're fighting for every little scrap uh, with, like the Japanese style, a lot of times it's kind of our technology has worked against us. It's mm-hmm. been the, the, the reason for our destruction. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's for, for us, it's a little bit more uh, made up or intellectual. Hmm. Uh, for the Japanese, it's unfortunately a little bit more real because they've experienced apocalypse before. Yeah. Um, and so I've never been there, but I know that there's a museum in Japan, uh, that it's, it's dedicated to kind of show you the, just the, the immensity. Like if you, if you can't even grasp in your head, you know, it's got like a lot of pictures that, and the, a lot of the facts about what happened. So, so you're talking about, um, like the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they, they wanted to make that museum so that, you know, people would get this feeling of like, we should never do this ever again. Yeah. And, um, so you, you see that a lot in, in the the stuff that they put out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a way to 
cope with those feelings and fears and, um, uh, you know, fears of what happened and could it happen again and uh, I guess fears of ourselves and of what we're capable of. Yeah, and so it's actually kind of a question of what we're capable of in both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how would you individually act? How would we as a culture, as a society, would act? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Kind of a sobering thing, almost. Right. And, and I, I'd imagine that, um, you know, even uh, even American culture and, and probably other cultures around the world can still relate to that to a certain, you know, yes. point. I mean, you know, we, we hit, you know... Uh, Many Americans lived through the Cold War and, and mm-hmm. fear of, you know, uh, uh, an attack. Um, it, luckily, thankfully, it never materialized. But, I mean, that does leave a mark on society. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely changes how you think, how yeah. you uh, process different things that happen throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, your, like, looking back on your life as a whole. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mean to get so serious. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I think I think ultimately... I mean, it's it's easy to to look at a genre like you know post apocalyptic media and focus on the like the the settings and what it looks like and just the immediate surface level details. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool! You know, it's cool to you know have all these sand nomads with weird spears running around the place fighting each other. But I think many many of these concepts and ideas are really at their best when they allow us to, uh, you know, to investigate some of these concepts and ideas, you know, know, trying to process uh, ideas about, you know, massive destruction, Mm -hmm. or even on a more personal level of how would I react in these situations? You know, are, are people inherently good? Or is it just the construct of society that keeps people sane and civilized? Yeah, is it the is it the cop that's on the corner watching you? that's preventing you from from stealing something right or is it your own your own morality that's keeping you away from that uh yeah these are these are good questions that get brought up by this by this genre um i know that we've had many talks a lot of times about you know what would you do kind of deal mm-hmm. um so yeah i i guess my take on a whole is that i enjoy this genre but i think it's it's been kind of put to the extreme as mm. far as like how many things come out and i would i would kind of think it's a, more of a breath of fresh air if like someone could make up a nice world mm. without having to use this as like the it because it, it as far as like a writing standpoint it's easy to use this as a as a breakoff point because you mm. can you can build the world that we already know and then just kind of break the things that you want to break to make it more interesting. Sure. Yeah. And which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. One of the other thoughts that I had is, I mean, so, so from a writer's standpoint, you know, the, the benefit of the post-apocalyptic genre is, okay, I can, I can now investigate these like deep psychological personality people issues. Right. But I think one of the, you know, maybe one of the things that makes it appealing to people aside from that can be um you know you you think about the world today and it's um it's getting smaller and smaller every day yeah um uh, you know we know like within three seconds if anything happens like all the way around the world right it's all on our cell phones immediately exactly and so uh the the sense of um wonder and mystery is kind of going 
if you want to travel to some far off place, um, you know, you can hop onto, you know, Google Street View and like look at all of the places <laughs> that you're going to go to before you even go there. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like there's not a whole lot of places that are that are mysterious like that. Right. But one of the I guess one of the cool things about the post-apocalyptic genre is it can kind of bring some of that mystery and uh, and excitement back into the world without needing to go to a far-off planet or something. It's mm-hmm. it's still our world, but it's suddenly become unknown and mysterious. Yep. Um, I mean, you think about, I mean, this is just, I haven't seen Mad Max or even the originals, but just looking at the the trailer, I mean, you can envision, like, not knowing anything about what's over the next sand dune. Right. Um, and wandering around the world like a nomad and coming on upon maybe some, you know, massive smuggler megalopolis somewhere that you didn't even know existed and just this wondrous thing that, you know, just popped into your uh, in, into your concept of the world. Because you, you happened about. upon it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's something that we don't we're almost not able to experience anymore in, in the world that we live in. And I think that's a great point, and it makes me think of the movie I Am Legend, hmm. um, where this apocalypse happened, and he thinks he's like the last person in the world. Yeah. And so a lot throughout the movie, you'll see him do these radio outcalls, um, where he sends out a signal like the same time every day mm-hmm. over all the bandwidth that he can, and just like, if there's anyone out there, contact me or you know, do what you can to survive. And when I was watching the movie, I definitely felt like I was in this like bubble. Like I'm not, I'm not connected to anybody. Yeah. I'm on my own. And you ask all these questions like what's left out there. Is there anyone left out there? Am I the only one? What am I going to happen upon and whatnot? Yeah. Uh, you feel that way kind of with the, the video games, the fallout series. Hmm. Um, I played a little bit of new Vegas and I liked that you, you start off in this town and you hear about different parts of the town, like different parts of around Vegas. Yeah. But you have to kind of just like walk in a direction and see if you you happen upon this like jail that's populated by criminals or if this like city that's got some good folk in it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like that that disconnect. You know, maybe you can contact someone through like a shortwave radio if you're lucky. Yeah. But you're not in that immediate connection with everything that's going on all around the world. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think we do take advantage of that mm-hmm. a lot of times. We don't appreciate the the connection that we have with yeah. everybody instantaneously. Right. Well, th- that that feeling of being isolated is really an interesting concept to explore. And I think post-apocalyptic films like I Am Legend do that really well. The feeling of... I am totally cut off. I am alone mm-hmm. um, is like a really, I mean, it's, it's a huge fear that mm-hmm. I think everyone has. And um, it's, it's interesting to be able to explore it in, in such a visceral way like that. Like rather than maybe being emotionally cut off from people, you know, right. due to your circumstances, you are literally physically cut off from the human race. And you just have to deal with it. Yeah. You, you just have to cope and figure out ways uh, to to understand that and to and to go forward right with that I, I don't know if if I've talked about it on this show before but I recently read a book called The Martian okay um, by Andy Weir I haven't um, heard about this oh okay so um and I, I've been I've listened to every episode Pat <laughs> really yes everyone I, I'm a hardcore fan that's I'm a awesome. diehard yeah 
So it was a book recommended to me by a coworker who uh, we started talking about sci-fi for a while because we both really love the genre. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a book about it's um, uh, what do you call it? It's uh, like very like super realistic sci-fi. Okay. Um, and so it talks about like a, a manned mission to Mars in the very near future, like a decade or so. Ba- so it's more sci than fi. Exactly. Okay. So, and it's basically essentially using the technology that we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a mission uh, to Mars. You know, there's a team of like six people that are there. Um, and to make a long story short, like uh, a sandstorm comes up and they have to evacuate. And As get they're off. on Mars, they As, have to get off. Yeah, they're on Mars. They've got their own little bubble habitat or whatever. The sandstorm comes up that's like massively bad that's just going to rip it apart. they sure. got to get out now if they mm-hmm. want to survive. And so uh, to make a, a short story shorter, um, one of the guys gets left behind because of they course. think he's dead. Oh. Um, so they, they think he died in the sandstorm. And so they all leave on the rocket. They're heading back to Earth. But he didn't die. Okay. Um, and so the story is of this one guy alone on Mars. They took the ship, so he has no radio to talk to Oh, Earth. so this is how, like, the story almost starts. So this is how it starts. Oh. So, yeah, I'm not ruin. I'm trying not to ruin too much. <laughs> but this is just the beginning. So they all leave. He's on Mars by himself, cut yep. off from Earth. And it's the story of how he survives. Talk about being cut off. Yeah. <laughs> you are the only person on the planet. There's, there's no shortwave radio that's going to reach anybody. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, and it's ju- it's a fascinating book. That sounds um, really interesting. And it and well, for for a hardcore like science and engineering nerd like me, it goes into like the details of how he survives. Okay, how do I rig this machinery to get oxygen? How do I get enough calories every day to survive? Right. Um, and so it, it's probably not for everyone, but it's it's a fascinating book. So The Martian by Andy Weir, highly recommended. Kind of sounds like if you uh, if you enjoyed Apollo thirteen. You would like this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of that was, you know, we've got to make all these machines that do this thing do something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, wow. That sounds like a really good book. Did you finish that book? I did. Yeah. Okay. I might have to give that a good read. Yeah. Uh, I'm, in be- I'm not in between books, but I just finished one and I don't know which one on my list I want to start mm. next because uh, I've just recently finished the Divergent series and I want to see what's going on next. Hmm. We'll talk about more about that. Uh, the, I think the last thing I want to touch on, which we've kind of talked bits about is the, uh, exploring different little parts of the world that you wouldn't normally be able to. Oh yeah. Uh, and so along that lines, I was just thinking about, uh, if you take a character who is just maniacal, is bloodthirsty, wants to kill everything in sight Hmm. and you inserted that in. Uh, let's say King Arthur, you know, just like that, that whole thing, you would think that that guy is crazy. And like, you just wouldn't like the character at all because he would just, well, I guess actually, I think I might've just described game of Thrones, (laughs) Uh, but besides that, uh, when you, when you add it into a world where it, it, you can tell that the, the, the world is what drove him to madness. Hmm. uh, You think about him in a different way. Oh, okay. So what I'm what I'm trying to describe is like in a world where everyone's where most people are normal and decent, you insert that character in there, you think he's just a horrible person. You insert that into where most people are kind of not very fun to be around. Mm. You know, they're kind of not good people at all. Yeah. Then you kind of you think about it in a different light, in a different perspective. Right. 
So that's another thing that this genre can bring. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it's almost exploring the reasons for why people do bad things. Yes, it's yeah. another way to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because and it, yeah, because it's it's easy to have. Okay, he's the villain, and he does bad things because he's bad. Yeah. Um, rather than okay, you know, m- maybe we're not excusing uh, like the bad things that he does, but let's delve into his psyche and see why he came to this. Right. Place. We're trying to understand. M- yeah. More better. Mm. And then it's more grounded and believable and real, rather than just some crazy lunatic who does bad things for no explicable reason. Right. Um, I don't know why, but that randomly made me think of a, uh, this is going off the the nerdy tangent. Uh, there's a fun, uh, I guess party game that people play a lot of times called, uh, ultimate werewolf. Okay. Uh, if some people have ever played mafia in like high school yeah, there, it's, it's a similar kind of game. Okay. And in this game, you have villagers there. It's a big village. You have villagers and then there's werewolves who kill the villagers. And every night the werewolf kills a villager. You wake up the next morning, you try and find out who it is, and you try and vote them vote them off and you know, kill the werewolf. In extended versions of the game, there's a character called the serial killer. Hmm. And his his role is just to try to kill everybody. He's not a werewolf, but he wants to kill everybody. He wants to kill werewolves, he wants to kill the mayors, he wants to kill all the villagers. Um and I played that character one time. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it because I got to be a little bit crazy because, like, you know, there's no (laughs) rhyme or reason to why I'm doing this. Oh, interesting. So I just get to do whatever I want. And so, you know, when questioned or when talked to a lot of times, I would just just make up, like, the most random crap and have a lot of fun (laughs) with it. And they thought I was just nuts by the end of the game. Interesting. Uh, So that was just a little tangent. Not to nitpick, though, but it's probably not the definition of a serial killer. They usually have, like, an M.O. and, like, a... Nope, not not no. not in a village. Maybe in like a like a big city, Chicago. Maybe he needs a motive, and he's got things that uh, tell him what to do. All the voices in head in his head. But in a vi- in just like a little village of like twelve people, he just okay. he just wants to kill everybody. Pat, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's uh, that's pretty much the show for for today. We do have to finish off, of course, with our phrase of the day. I've uh, been looking forward to it all episode. <laughs> You've just been sitting back in your seat like, what's what, it going to be? What's it going to be? <laughs> uh, today's is uh, getting the upper hand. Oh, okay. And uh, there's there's two different, I guess, origins, for lack of a better term. Uh, one of the ways that it is described is in baseball, when you're choosing teams, the captains will grab a bat and they'll they'll grab one hand over the other, each taking turns, and whoever gets on the top or the upper hand gets to play first so they get the advantage that way Ah. Uh, another uh origin if you will it describes when couples like walking down the street they're holding hands and if whichever one you see is on the top that usually references that they're the dominant in the relationship oh really yeah so not to make everyone self-conscious now walking down the street with their their you know their fellas or their gals uh but yeah you know if if you want to, you know, just show them who's boss, maybe just get the upper hand a little bit. Wow. I, I'm pretty sure you have now ruined handholding for everyone who has just heard that. I, I really hope to see people like walking down the street, like just 
letting go of each other's hands just because they're frustrated by trying to get the upper hand. <laughs> no, I, I see like a massive fight, like like thumb wrestling, like <laughs> to like the thousand uh, degree. They just uh, and, and then you they're, they're at home and like their hand holding hand, they're just working out every other day. They're like, oh, I'm gonna get the upper hand this time. Yeah, uh, I hope to see that. I hope to see that as we as we not go outside to to see things. Maybe we should go outside a little bit more this week. And then we'll see if we can find some of those. Okay. Uh, but that is that is our show for the week. If you have any stories that you want to share, any uh, anything that you want to send over to us, you can email us at neverendingnarrative at gmail.com. Uh, or you can tweet at us at N-E-Narrative. Uh, I'm also at Matthew J. Yeager, I believe, on Twitter. And Pat is... I think I have a Twitter account, but I don't remember what it so, is. So you're like a resident, but you really don't even know where you live. <laughs> nope. So, okay. Well, next time we'll, we'll maybe like pin a, a, a piece of paper to your, the front of your shirt so that people can identify you and know where your address is. But they won't be able to see my I'll, shirt. I'll read the, I'll read the, the front of your shirt for them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was, was that you in kindergarten? That was me in kindergarten. I have something pinned on your shirt. Yeah, you had something pinned on your shirt, you know, just so in case anyone like didn't know who you are and you got lost from the group or something. Like, hi, my name is Matt. I think so. Like, like you went through your entire childhood with your name on. No, your shirt. it wasn't. No, Pat, it was like I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about like during like field trip times. Oh, okay. Like special occasions, not just like hi, I'm dumb. I don't know how to walk. I'm talking about like during field trips where there's somewhat amount of chaos sometimes. Okay. You would have pinned to your shirt something. I don't know if it was your address or just your name or like maybe I was the only one. Maybe <laughs> You were the only one out of the whole field trip group that had your Now I'm out. really just rethinking my entire childhood. <laughs> Thanks, Pat. It could have happened to me. It would just I don't remember. Oh, Pat, now I just feel like as a child I was just a dumb kid. <laughs> and See, Matt, you are the only one who ever had weird things happen to you as a oh, kid. You are I, the only one. You'd be surprised, Pat. I think that way sometimes. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Thank you for listening again. Uh, And this is Never Ending Narrative. Bye.